Hey there, folks. Welcome to Griff Talks Football with your host, Griff, here. And getting closer and closer to the end of Season 2. But in this particular one, this is a more of a history episode. And again, apologize for uh, the late release of this said episode. I got really busy on a Tuesday of when this is released. Usually I get these done uh, no later than the afternoon. Um, However, nevertheless, I made a commitment to myself that I would continuously upload podcasts or podcast episodes every Tuesday and then YouTube videos every Friday. Um, Teaching within this sport, within football, is always something that I have a passion in. And while I'm still working towards my goal of becoming a head coach professionally, and I'm not afraid to say that or intimidated not to say it, I know a lot of people uh, would have doubts, not necessarily about me, but just people who have what you could argue is high aspirations or difficult goals to achieve. And while I have no doubt that I will be coaching and, and and while I don't have an avenue or at least an exact path to get there, I'm doing my best to create one. But in doing so, I'm still trying to do my best to stick to my passion. And again, football is more, more particularly is being able to teach football. But within this episode, there's not much more of a teaching particular coverages or teaching particular route concepts or pass concepts or pass protections or verbiages associated to whatever it may be. This is not that. This is a history episode. And more particularly, we're going to be talking about, or at least what we're going to be discussing or what the topic is going to be is comparing offensive systems and defensive systems from the 2000s to the current era. Now, with offense, what's being used now, so we're talking about 2020 to, to beyond. I mean, maybe not so much beyond because, of course, football is always an ever-changing sport. But I wanted to point out some five things or a couple things right here at five, but just a couple things that have been predominantly used or have been predominantly more noticeable in football, at least if you're looking at it from a fan's perspective, you're not looking at it from a coaching perspective or from a deep perspective or a or if you really pay attention a lot to the game, what's being used often now in offenses is RPOs or run pass option, which yes, I've done an episode over that. Feel free to pause it and check that out if you want more details about RPOs. I'll just do a brief over some or a overview or summary of this. Bar POs run pass options. One back personnel or 11 personnel with one running back and one tight end have been used most often. Read options have been used most often. And it doesn't matter what formation and what personnel, the fact that read options are being used more to predominantly than it was in the early 2000s it's not so much of an innovation because it was it was there from early 2000s in the collegiate level, 
But so much has been a change. It has been more of a requirement from the quarterback position. It has been an advantage for an offensive system. It has been more difficult for defenses to defend. And such as defenses have been, or at least have found difficulty trying to defend this play collegially, imagine trying to defend it in the NFL or professional level. Running backs getting more involved in the passing game has been now a requirement from said running back. Running backs are no longer required to just do pass protections or to just run the ball, whether it be gap runs or zone runs, but to be more involved in the passing game. And yes, while running backs have had catches and receiving yards or receiving yards after the catch rack or you know receiving touchdowns, while that's been more common now, it was not a commonality in the early 2000s. I mean, Mar- Marshall Falk, Brian Westbrook, those guys were the anomaly. Yes, again, running backs were involved in the passing game, but not as heavily, not as in a heavy usage. I mean, think about it. 1999, no running back did what Marshall Falk did other than Roger Craig, and that was, I want to say, either late 80s or early 90s, where he was the first running back with the San Francisco 49ers is when he accomplished this, this thing, when he was the first running back in NFL history to have 1,000 yards receiving and 1,000 yards rushing. And along with Marshall Falk, Marshall Falk became the second running back to do that in 1999. And now, 20 exact years later, Chris McCaffrey became the third running back in NFL history to have 1,000 yards rushing and 1,000 yards receiving all in one season. And he led the NFL second, so he plays second place in the NFL with receptions with 116. Normally that might you know get you first place depending on seasons, but definitely top three, top four, or top five. But the guy ahead of him was Michael Thomas who had 152 receptions. So and he plays wide receiver. So for a running back to not only lead the team, but then be top three in receptions amongst all professional level teams is a is an accomplishment nevertheless and a very astonishing accomplishment now that's been an anomaly or at least even though running backs have now been required to catch passes out of the backfield and run routes out wide like chris mccaffrey like austin eckler who had 92 receptions with the chargers this past season um it was again not a commonality or not so much a requirement back then it was not And then jets or fly receiver motions or zooms, what have you, those have been more in common than they were in the early 2000s. Because getting your fastest guy or what you deem is your fastest guy, the ball in the backfield, can be an advantage. Receivers pretending like they're getting the ball in the backfield can be difficult for the defenses to recognize whether it's a actual run to the running back or a play action pass because now they're focused on trying to stop this receiver running this fly motion, this jet motion, whatever you want to call it kind of motion. But again, these things that I pointed out run pass options. These again were not used in early 2000s. They were predominantly or at least started to be more used right around this time or you know, mid-2011s or mid-2010s, if you will. 
where I first heard about run pass options when Jared Goff was talking to John Gruden, who had his QB show at the time, Gruden's QB camp, talking about RPOs. And this is when Jared Goff finishes, I want to say his junior year at Cal Berkeley, explaining what the RPO was. RPOs, again, is just an extension of the run play, but you have pass concepts involved to counteract the numbers in the box for defense. Again, it can be very difficult to run the ball if there's so many guys in the backfield. And if you still want to control the ball or still try to run the ball and not have a play-action pass, which even then the defense blitzes and, and no one picks up a, a certain player on pass protection, that can be disastrous running play action. But if you just want to still try to run the ball and try to counteract the numbers in the box that the defense has in their advantage, you throw in pass concepts that complement well with said run play, with said RPO. So if you see a linebacker blitz and it's a zone blitz and you have a receiver running a slant, your slot receiver – and he's open, you throw it there. If there's not a rotation and coverage, um, you can still try to throw it. If there is a defender that you're reading and doesn't move or plays the pass, you give the ball to the running back. It has now been forcing defenses to play disciplined football. And not that there's anything wrong with disciplined football. But if you want to be aggressive in certain situations in the game, like a third and three down in distance, you're blitzing and they call RPO, then you could get yourself caught up allowing a big play that could happen. You get yourself now trying to, as a defensive coordinator, you're getting yourself now to be more prepared with the RPOs, to be more of a contained, disciplined defense, and you are forced to try to slow down the offense without bringing so many guys in the box. Nowadays, there might be defensive coordinators saying, hey, let's defend the pass, not stop the run, which that is a different defensive system in its own right and different philosophy in its own right. Uh, but again, if you're trying to be aggressive in certain situations and you call an RPO, it can be very difficult to not be disciplined. That's near at that point, you want to be disciplined. But then now you have to find ways to try to stop an offense that's now been using RPOs to counteract your aggressiveness. One back personnel, so again, one running back, one tight end has been used more often now than ever because we start to see athletic, big, strong, good, excellent pass catchers and route runners at the tight end position. Like a Rob Gronkowski, like a George Kittle, like back in the day, which was a rarity, Antonio Gates and Tony Gonzalez. Austin Hooper is another player. He's current era, by the way. Uh, he's signing with the Cleveland Browns. Go Browns. But back then, tight ends Tony Gonzalez and Antonio Gates, no matter how great they were, which, again, they were great, but they were not a commonality. They Tight ends were not so much required to run routes. Tight ends like Dallas Clark, Tony Gonzalez, sorry about that, and Antonio Gates were a rarity because in certain offensive systems and based on the players that came from the draft or from unrestricted free agency or maybe through a trade, again, it was not common. You instead had wide receivers running these routes. You instead had your tight end in pass protection. 
You instead had your tight end run blocking, which, again, nowadays tight ends are still required to run block. But I'm just saying one-back personnel or 11 personnel has been used more often and has now become a predominant mismatch, really, for any defensive personnel that's being called. You just try to do your best to slow down the set personnel if you're going against an offense that just has a ridiculous monster at a tight end position and a good slot receiver, outside receiver. At that point, you are, as a defensive coordinator, even for, more frustrated to try to you know, establish a game plan. I mean, establishing game plans are nice, but trying to just stop an offense, just a scoring machine, can be definitely very frustrating. Especially, again, if you got no one matched up against a monster of a tight end. Read options have been difficult to defend. Nowadays, I believe NFL defenses have really been accustomed to stopping or being more aware of read options and how to properly defend it. But back in the day in early 2000s, you were not worried about read options. The fact of having your quarterback, your starting quarterback, who you paid millions of dollars, who has been the vocal point of your offense, whether you're a running scheme or a passing scheme, just having your starting QB out there helps the offense, especially an excellent starting QB. The fact of having that QB run on run plays was just preposterous. It was not recommended. You would fuck your QB up if that was the case. Again, apologies for language, but really you would screw your QB up. That was the that was the ideology. That was the understanding. That was this is not something we should do as a coach's point of view. But when we started seeing more athletic QBs coming out of college, and once we started seeing defenses really adjusted to the running game and really seeing coverages being mixed up and very difficult for a young quarterback to identify, read options started to become used. Perfect example, you can look at the 2012 season, which, holy shit, it was eight years ago. But that's when you started seeing read options with Mike and Kyle Shanahan, basically the father and son of the zone run scheme. Not just using their standard zone run scheme out of 21 personnel or uh, 12 personnel. So 21, two backs, one tight end, 12, one running back, two tight ends. But using and implementing read options in there. Just basically reading a particular defensive player and either keeping it as a QB and running, or pull, or, or you know pulling is another word, or giving it to the running back, and the running back has now an advantage because one of the offensive linemen is not blocking a D on a particular play, but rather climbing up to a second level defender, and now has a better advantage to or a better opportunity to find a gap and exploit that gap and get yards on the ground. Baltimore Ravens currently do that. San Francisco 49ers of 2012 did that with Colin Kaepernick. Guess who was the OC then? Greg Roman. And guess who's the OC now for the Ravens, especially for this previous season? Greg Roman, who implemented that system. Albeit is a power running scheme where read options evolved and using heavy tight end formations. But again, it's still read options. Panthers, for the longest time under Cam Newton, had used read options. So, again, read option was not so much of a commonality or even a thing 
in 2000. So the thought of, again, having your quarterback run on a running play was preposterous. Yes, again, quarterbacks did run back in the day. They scrambled. That's only if you really need to get yards or if you can't find anyone open. Again, it was not recommended. But nowadays, it's become a huge advantage for offenses uh, in this point of era, in this point of the year, in this point of time. Running backs, again, I already mentioned, needed to be more involved in the passing game. Again, jets and fly receiver motions have also been heavily used. So those are one of the few things I felt that were predominantly shown or at least predominantly more known about in this particular era. Back in the early 2000s, 21 personnel, two backs, one tight end, was used most often. QBs were under the center on third downs most often. Shotgun was not so much of a thing back then. Nowadays, shotgun is because of read options, because uh, shotgun gives your quarterback enough time in the pocket or at least a distance away from the defensive lineman or, or away from the pass rush. Although the timing and the concept of the routes kind of changed because the quarterback is in shotgun, um, again, shotgun was not used back in the day. Why? Because timing of plays, timing of routes. I hardly, or at least I really believe that NFL coaches, all of them, hadn't had figured out, even Bill Belichick, who was a defensive-minded coach, hadn't yet figured out how to time plays or how to properly find concepts that time well with certain steps taken out of shotgun. Instead, everyone, nearly everyone, or predominantly everyone, every quarterback was under center. Taking a three-step, five-step, or seven-step drop was more custom, was more well-known, which time pretty well with concepts that you're trying to establish. And which you do still see quarterbacks do that, but I'm just saying on third down, having a quarterback under center, if it's not third and short and it's third and long, having a quarterback under center is just not often as used or as seen because pass rushes have gotten better. Blitzing up the A-gap is a way to try to get to the QB if that QB is under center. But nowadays in shotgun, even if there's a blitz in the A gap, there's, I mean, pass protections have changed too. Even if there's a blitz in the A gap, a quarterback is in shotgun. So he's not immediately threatened or feels threatened because you can kind of feel threatened and there's a blitz in the A gap and then the defender kind of gets through as you're taking a snap or under center. I'm just saying, again, the style of football has kind of changed to more shotgun. Gap runs were also most often used. Nowadays, it's a mixture, but predominantly zone run schemes have been, or at least zone run plays, have been more predominantly used. Because back in the early 2000s, not everyone was connected to Mike Shanahan. Not everyone under Mike Shanahan was hired to be different, uh, to be hired to be a head coach for different various teams. I mean, heck, I think Gary Kubiak was the second one under the Mike Shanahan tree to be hired to go to the Texans, if I'm not mistaken. But again, not everyone used his own run scheme. I mean, that was only used or at least invented and different footsteps have been along with that uh, back in the late 90s. 
when Mike Shanahan was first head coach of the Broncos with, at the time, offensive line coach Alex Gibbs. Now it's a huge advantage for offenses. But gap runs were just not, or at least gap runs are not as used as they were back in the early 2000s. But defenses eventually not only got adjusted to gap runs, but you need kind of strong interior linemen. And if you don't have that, it can be very difficult to run gap runs. Nowadays, it's more of a zone run, but some teams still use gap runs like the Patriots and still find success in gap runs. Seahawks do gap runs as well. You can still find success in gap runs as long as your interior linemen are strong. With a zone run, you just have to have a quick-footed lineman with good tackles at the edge. You can find, I would argue, you can, you, uh, you're, you're, you're far better finding better tackles than trying to find really excellent guards. So that's where my argument is. But again, gap runs were most often used because not everyone who was a head coach in the early 2000s was connected or had a shared same scheme with Mike Shanahan. Fullbacks, even though I already mentioned 21 personnel, two backs, one tight end, fullbacks are also more in common. Fullbacks were a huge part of gap runs. Nowadays, you barely see any fullbacks in team because of the usage of the passing game. Because of tight ends being more flexible to what coaches want them to do, as well as certain tight ends are being implemented in the scheme. But you still see a Kyle Juszczyk out there, and Kyle Juszczyk is currently with the Niners in that Kyle Shanahan, Mike Shanahan zone scheme. And 21 personnel, a lot. And that's an advantage if you can have a fullback that is a rarity, that is basically an excellent uh, blocker who can catch like a tight end, who uh, can run the ball on occasions like a running back, that is a that is a huge advantage for your offense nowadays. But again, because of the, how football has changed predominantly in the professional level, uh, fullbacks are no longer a commonality as they were in the early 2000s. In formations with two backs and three wide receivers was also known as the third down in uh, the third down go-to formation, where you had two backs in the backfield with their hands down, you had three wide receivers. Why was that commonality? Because not only did more teams were associated with formations like that, but I would argue, again, tight ends were not excellent route runners back in the day, or at least certain tight ends, that was more of a diamond or up. That was more a rarity. Nowadays, it's more of a requirement. But that's what I found all in all, what has been used today and what has been used back then for offenses. With defense, though, it's not so much schemes have changed dramatically or what's been used in offenses, and especially for defenses, you know, what's been used dramatically, what's changed dramatically. I mean, defenses, of course, have changed, but not as predominant, not as dramatically as offenses. I mean, defenses now, you just got to have a few key players and requirements of said position. For a linebacker, you need an athletic linebacker or linebackers that can cover in space, match man-to-man with tight ends and running backs. There's also now been an emphasis on containing the QB. Why? Because QBs are, nowadays, or in the NFL, are not only athletic, 
but there are QB run plays, QB design run plays. And the fact that they can still scramble all the pocket and make something happen, yeah, it can kind of so it neutralize the pass rush. Also, disguising coverages has been used more often than it was in the early 2000s. Why, you may ask? Well, I would argue, again, pass rush is more of a key. I mean, pass rush is still a key now, but uh, you weren't worried about being beat. Because defenses uh, weren't considered or worried so much being beat by, you know, tight ends involved. Uh, I mean, again, you didn't worry about having to mix coverages. Be- it's kind of hard to explain. I, 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 like with rolling, disguising coverages, uh, again, that was, it's something that's being used more often. Um, but part of the reason why discovering coverages is kind of now become a thing is, is because how offensive change basically. Now I don't understand why it wasn't you know often used in the early two thousands, uh, but if I had to take a huge guess, I would often say that it's because offenses were not often using eleven personnel. That is my biggest guess. Offenses were not using personnel in empty sets or finding ways to uh, really. Even though there were ways to identify coverages, it just wasn't as predominant uh, to use empty sets to identify coverages, which I did an episode about that. But also, again, uh, they weren't using 11 personnel. They weren't worried about an athletic tight end. The the pass concepts and shotgun were not often used. And so having to kind of mix up your coverages as a way to counteract the speed or the player's that the excellent players that are involved in 11 personnel that can present difficult challenges, such as a current team, the Kansas City Chiefs, uh, rolling coverages is one of the ways to try to, you know, confuse a quarterback. Um, but again, rolling coverages now, based on the rules of the game and how offenses have changed, um, has been uh, used more often. Also, a requirement is that DBs, even though this sounds rhetorical, I mean, this should always be a requirement, but now you need DBs with speed. You can no longer have DBs just with technique, just with good zone coverage skills or man coverage skills, but really with speed. DBs with speed, and they aren't often penalized. And again, also good technique has now been a requirement to cover man-to-man because nowadays it's really difficult to run zones against teams that are only excellent in their passing attack or excellent in their air raid scheme or excellent in the West Coast that is predominantly, again, a passing attack. But also, again, uh, based on the players that are involved in 11 personnel and the mismatches that can be presented if said players in, such as a speedy receiver, such as a monster of a tight end at the tight end position, of course, or an outside receiver that's just a mismatch uh, like a Julio Jones. So uh, DBs with speed and with good technique has now become a requirement to cover man-to-man. Because uh, if you can lock receivers on a man-to-man, it can really, or at least has found more effectiveness to try to 
disrupt timing of plays than it is a zone coverage unless you're running like press zone coverage, like a press cover four. But even then, once receivers get past like 10 yards, it ends up just becoming man-to-man coverage. And also nickel personnel has been used more often in defenses because back in the day in the early 2000s, Base defense was a thing. Base defense was used more often. Base defense, whether it be 3-4, 4-3, 3-4, 3-down linemen, 4 linebackers, 4-3, four, 4 defensive linemen, or 4-down linemen, and 3 linebackers, right? Um, defenses use base defense as a way to stop the run because seeing a quarterback pass over 4,000 yards in the early 2000s was not a commonality. The emphasis still back then, I would argue, was to try to stop the run. But now with quarterbacks, now with the requirement and with the commonality of throwing 3,700 plus yards or especially over 4,000 yards passing, um, it, defenses have to adjust to that. Defenses can no longer worry about the run unless there's a particular run scheme uh, or a particular team that's really great at running the ball. They have to figure out ways to slow down receivers. They have to figure out ways to counteract 11 personnel. They have to figure out ways to play defense within said nickel personnel or find one of the ways to be effective in nickel personnel. Nickel personnel was never thought of as using a first or second down. Back in the day, back in the early 2000s, it was thought of a third down defense or a two-minute drill defense to stop the passing game, to stop teams from trying to make a comeback. Now, nowadays, you see it on first, second. You may not always see the team line up in nickel personnel every time because there is still the base defense, but you put yourself at disadvantage nickel personnel with strength. So again, if you're, pay- if you're facing a power running team, and they're mostly using 21 or 12 personnel, it's not essential or not really the best idea to run nickel. Unless that nickel player, that third DB, is like such a beast, or at least you feel confident and switching up to put the strong safety at the at the box at the third corner and put a backup strong safety in there, for example. I mean, sure, you can try to run that. I'm just saying you put yourself in a difficult position to defend a run if you're facing a gap team zone run team uh you have the speed to kind of attack the edges but if they're running down your throat through the b or c gaps or not c gaps really the a or b gaps um, it could really be difficult to stop the run via nickel personnel so you really try to manage and you just try to match nickel personnel against either occasionally again even though i said you wouldn't often use it against 12 personnel, just occasionally against 12, or again, uh, 11 personnel. But now that has really been the end of this episode here, the end of this history lesson. I know it was a long episode, so I appreciate y'all taking the time and effort to listen to said episode. Um, I really appreciate that. Um... But I just, even though I wasn't necessarily teaching anything new, whether it be position-wise, coverage-wise, concept-wise, don't worry, we'll be right back up on that uh, next uh, Tuesday, of course, um, which next Tuesday's episode, 
Uh, that, uh, I'm sorry, I'm flipping through here because I couldn't remember on top of my head. Uh, that uh, is about... That is about... Wow, my brain is fried, guys. I'm sorry. But anyway, that is about... Um, Ways to attack bracket coverages. Yeah, I'm sorry. It took a while. But ways to attack bracket coverages. That would be next Tuesday's episode. Um, so that, again, is more of a concept-wise thing. But I just really wanted to present a history lesson here because I always find it fascinating to kind of reflect and look at where the league has been in the early 2000s, especially the offensive schemes and with uh, defenses kind of changing how to defend and how to attack offenses to, of course, the current era of what we now see on that on, uh, during the football season. So thank you so much again for listening to this episode. Remember to catch uh, Griff Talks Football on the YouTube channel. That will be over the outside stretch or the zone run scheme to the outside against a over and odd front. So thank you so much again for listening. Uh, I'll catch y'all soon. Uh, Remember to either love or hate my opinions.